Good morning, and welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas, where the mission is to serve the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so glad you could join us today as our pastor, Aaron Williams, shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, there are several ministry opportunities that you can be a part of. These include the food pantry and commodity distribution, which provides assistance to those who are experiencing a food shortage in both our community and the four-state area. In addition, our worship team, now known as Fire of FBCR, provides music each and every Sunday morning during the worship service. The team is growing and welcomes new talent as God provides. This includes either singing, playing a musical instrument, or being a part of our technical crew. And a third ministry opportunity involves the crisis team, which is available to provide assistance in case of a fire, flood, or any other unforeseen emergency. Please contact the church office for details on these ministry opportunities. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. If you have your Bible, would you please open to John chapter 15. We're going to take a look at some of the final days before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus had just finished in the first part of John 15. We're going to start in verse 14 of 15, then I'm going to go right over to John 16. But I want to get a little bit of a picture as to what's going on here. He has just given a teaching on being uh, the very vine and that we are the branches. And so as Jesus begins to do this, He's teaching His disciples. And keep in mind as we begin to read in John chapter 16 that these are some of the final words that the disciples would hear before they would actually go to the cross site with him. And they just weren't very solid at this point. After three and a half years of ministry, they were still pretty shaky. And so what we have here is the words of Christ in 15 and 16, obviously. They're red-lettered. But as you go to John 17, he prays what we call the priestly prayer, the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus as both man and God, bow himself to God and begin to pray a prayer that will then affect not only that generation, but all the generations behind him. And keep in mind, this high priest who prays in John 17 is still praying today. He's an everlasting, eternal interceder. And so we look in John 15, verse 14. I want to point out a point here. Look at what he writes after he teaches on being the vine and the branches. He said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Let's just continue reading. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. What he's saying to them is, I've not kept anything back. If I heard it from my Father, I've taught it to you. You're not just a servant. You're not serving only. You're now going to be called my friend. And I'm going to share everything I hear from my Father with you. How does that make you feel? If you're a born-again believer, and you know that he's willing to share whatever he hears from the Father with you, are you hearing that way? Can He call you? Is He calling you His friend? Not just in your thinking, but in your response to hearing Him. In many different situations. I think in your everyday life, are you hearing Him? In your your work, in your future, visionary, are you hearing Him? Can He call you a friend and you know with confidence He will not hide 
the thing that He wants for your life from you? Are you hearing from Him when it comes to the future? Maybe in a country? Are you hearing? Are you preparing by what you hear? The difference of the one who built on the sand and the one on the rocks, not whether they heard. It's whether they would apply what they heard. You see, all over the country today on Sunday morning, there's masses of people in America hearing all kinds of preaching. Different styles. The difference not going to be what church they were at. The difference will be whether or not they applied what they heard. The Bible said the wise one will hear with understanding and then build their own house on a rock, something solid. But those who just hear, and they don't get in that position of knowing that Jesus could call them a friend. There's a difference. Let's continue to look in verse 16. He says to them, You have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. This is really the Gospel in a nutshell. He said, You didn't even hunt Me down. You never looked for Me. Despite popular opinion, you did not find the Lord. If you are born again, you did not find Him. You and I were lost. And He came and found us. And nothing lost can find itself. That's the reason intellect is not enough to have salvation. And what we have here, He says, you did not choose Me. I chose you. And can you imagine Him looking at these, really the eleven that were solid, Judas had now begun to skate off, and now you have eleven And can you imagine him taking a look at them and they don't even look that solid? And when he found them, they really weren't that much. And you start listening to Mashiach teach your children, have you ever made a mess? Every one of us has made a mess. But the question is not whether we've made a mess or not, whether or not we have sinned. The question is, will we hear the Gospel and then do what God asks of us so that we know with confidence we're not only friends, but He has our future in His hand, that we can actually trust Him against what you see, what you feel, what you fear, in a practical way, where is your mind? I mean, we can talk all the religious language we want, but when we go home, are we really communicating what God told us was true? Can we know that Jesus saved us and called us out because He chose us? It wasn't some great thing He's seen in any of us that He come for us. He knew that He and His Father and the Holy Spirit were so great that they could pave a path, knock on the door of your heart, and when you responded to Him, they, being strong in us, being weak, could make great things happen if we could only believe them. The power of believing by faith is the Gospel in its foundations. But how many times do we say, I believe by faith, but yet we won't believe it unless we understand all of it? Do you think you'll only believe what you can understand? Is there a possibility that there's this percentage only God knows? It's amazing to me how often we get trapped in this this theological debris of I'm only going to believe what... Does the Word say it? Is the Holy Spirit able to convict you? Let's keep going here. He says, I chose you. These things I command you, verse 17, that you love one another. How's this going for you? This isn't an option. It's a command. He says, here's something I'm going to command you to do. There may be options on what you want to do in some areas, but this is a command. You're going to have to love one another. Why does he have to command us to love one another? 
Wouldn't you think that'd be the easiest thing to do? But it's not. The human heart is so bent on its own way that he has to command us to love each other. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Is the world hating you for your stand and your love of one another and knowing that you're a friend of God? How are you doing with that? I mean, he knows what you're going to get when you believe. Are you believing some things that only God could whisper to you out of the word against all odds? Or are you listening to just the percentages? You see what I'm saying? Are you listening to just what people say, and if it worked out this way for them, maybe it's going to work out this way for me? Or somewhere in the night or in your prayer life, does the Spirit of God, according to His Word, just come to you and speak some truth, and you say, you know what, I'm going to believe this against all the odds. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. It's because he chooses you out of the world. And something different takes place in you than what takes place in the world is the reason that you get rejected and hated. But again, is this actually happening in your life? How often is it easier to love our own way rather than somebody else's? Do you, are you willing to prefer yourself? You see, the Bible said that contention just comes with like pride and envy and strife. Like You can't even have contention except it comes through our own selfish nature. And as God begins to raise ministries up in the church, we have to decide, like, do we want ourselves promoted or do we just want to see God have glory? And it's the same thing for the home. Are we going to just promote, spend our time making sure our home has all that it needs? And if we will get in this mindset that Jesus taught us, commanded us to love one another, to obey Him, be called the friend, He would never hold anything back. If, if you would understand that this takes such a servant's mentality, but that if you're born again, God has placed this DNA within you to do this. You can do this. You cannot do it making excuses with your theological friends that you have lunch with who really choose their own way but dance around at church because of their doctrinal theology. Can I assure you one thing? There's no Baptist versus Pentecostal or Catholic in eternity. Nowhere in the Bible can you find this difference. What he's looking for is these born-again believers. The question here is not what church did you attend. I want to know whether or not you've been born again. If you've been born again from above and you have been actually made new in the heart of the earth and it causes you to love when others don't love and to serve when others don't want to serve, here's what I want to get to, if we may. In chapter 16, this was some of the last stuff his disciples would hear before he gets some personal time with his father and then literally they come to arrest him after Gethsemane. I mean, he's going to go from this spot of teaching them to a prayer that will be heard forever and ever in eternity. Things like where he said, Oh, righteous Father, you know, would you give to them the glory I had with you before the world was? And he prays not only for them, but anyone who would ever believe upon his name. He talks about the word that sanctified their heart and made them... I mean, he goes from this teaching that we're in right now to this priestly prayer to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays until his sweat turns to blood, and then he agonizes and says, Lord, if you could just pass this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I feel that way sometimes as a minister, like, 
man, if you could just pass this cup from me to someone else, nevertheless, I just want to do your will. Do you find yourself in that place? Are you finding yourself saying, Lord, the ministry you've given me to do, whatever it may be, that it's just putting me in an agonizing position? And, and you can be a ministry in your home, like being a mother, being a father. You could be ministry in the church, and you're not sure where you want to be. It's not natural for the body. I've been preaching on giftings, getting in position and doing their, their thing, and it's not natural. It's not natural in churches today just for people to automatically go to a church, get born again, and start functioning in their... That's not normal. Why? Because we've got this stardom mentality of the preachers that they should be the ones to do everything for... No, they're just a piece of the body. Really, the stardom is that God could move a group of people into humility on their knees as servants, loving one another and all people that are around them, praying for them, believing against all odds, and always keeping the objective and the final of the authority on the Word of God, but that the Holy Spirit Himself could signature you at any time. Listen, this is why, why did I come to a Baptist church? Why? I'm going to tell you honestly why. It's because the Baptists have kicked the Holy Ghost through theology out of their churches. It's the reason we've got 1,100 dying every year around the country. It's not because the great men like Whitfield who preached in this country, the Wesleyans said... This man's great preacher. He would never go for this junk. We've got in this rational thinking that if we can't prove it intellectually, we won't preach. What? And you expect your loved ones, your grandchildren to come to Christ? Really? And there's not enough power to blow the hat off the devil's head? And you're praying at night they get off drugs? That they don't go do abortion? It will take a move of God. Sometimes I feel so locked up by nonsense. I'm looking for someone at the treatment center. Why? They're headed for hell. And I don't feel good about it. This is real. This isn't just having church on a Sunday morning. If heaven and hell is real, and if I was an occult leader like they are, I would tell you heaven and hell doesn't exist. But the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus preached on hell. And it may not tickle your fancy, but it's true. And there's no do-overs when we get there. You can't come back here and do this a second time. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then there's a judgment. And the judgment is before the one who is called Christ. And everyone there then bow theirself down. As I get back to my original point, it's not common to come in. You know, you're used to, you come in and you just serve. You hope the light show goes on. It tickles your emotion. That's not what God's asking of us to be His friend. He wants to whisper in your ear and fix your practical situation. He wants to help you love your husband or your wife, the co-worker. I ask a young man today, what is God doing in you? He teaches me not to back talk my father. We've been learning the Ten Commandments on Wednesday night. One of those is honor your father and your mother. Now I see the Spirit of God doing it in him. He said, I'm not going to back talk my father. I said, the Spirit of God's done this in you. Let me talk to some guy that knows Hebrew and Greek. So what? Let me hear that from a young man by the Spirit. You can't trespass the Ten Commandments and expect yourself during eternity. I guarantee you the Spirit of God will not have you act outside of those. You can't commit adultery and then be trying to say you're right with God. To this generation, I say it, and the young ones that are here, you better mark it up. Quit playing around with sin and then hoping you can get, get enough grace of God out of the Scriptures to try to paddle yourself on the edge of an ocean at the possibilities there will be grace for you. The Spirit of God will not speak to you, you betray His commandments. Jesus, this Word was bought by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God only reacts to you because you believe it and embrace it. 
And He wants to move everyone in this congregation. Listen, I didn't come, God didn't send me into the pulpit just so that we could see if we could build a crowd and they applaud you. I don't need the applaud of the crowd. I need the applaud of God. Like as if I was on the baseball field, totally wore out, totally used up. All the sweat I've got and the energy, I just need to look back, not to the stadium. Not to the stadium. I need to know on the edge of the fence is my Father with one bit of a grin that lets me know I'm exactly where I need to be. I just need to know that He's there. And that's what the prayer time will do for you. Get in there where you know that God's able to grin and applaud you. To say to you, you are my friend. We need the Spirit of God to do what we cannot do in our own intellectual understanding. It doesn't have to be weird. It has to be real. I went back to the milk barn this morning. I said, God, don't let my fire, don't let this thing get lukewarm in me with being just busy in ministry. How about you? How are you doing? You know your life's just a vapor and so is mine. It's just a short period. What difference are we going to make with God? For God. I mean when we stand, all of the great preachers of the past in the last 200 years as we've seen great changes in countries and otherwise, they were focused on one thing. They were focused on eternity. It was not come to Jesus to see how He can modify us. And then, hey, make no mistake, He knows how to transform you by the renewing of your very mind. Any person in Christ is a new creation. But the motive was not to come and kind of hijack God to get something you wanted. The motive was you come to God and empty yourself at the cross, be totally crucified and lose your life so that the life you get out of the resurrection power of Jesus would be enough life to get you not only in this one, but in the one to come. That's the difference of the preaching of the days of John Wesley and Charles. And I mean, do you know how John died? John died in like 1792. He was converted at 35 years of age. He preached 53 years. You add those up, he's 88 years old. He had been in the church before he was 35, but after he's 35, he's converted. You know how, how old they were when they died? Traveled with John Wesley? 32 years of age, you died. Total spiritual exhaustion. Most of the men died out there on the field. He preached three sermons a day. Some of them were two to three hours long. And at one point, it was reliably recorded among historical documents that there were 1,800 people flat on their face on the ground before God after He had preached a message on the holiness and the majesty of God. Do you hear anything like that today? Do you turn the TV on and hear about this holy, majestic God that this morning I read in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 that this man Isaiah who was cut in half when he was finished, cut in half, Hebrews 11 records his life, said, and they were sawn in half. It's Isaiah he's talking about. How different does this look than my life at times? I mean, what do I do with this when I come Sunday? Is it enough that just the busyness of America could keep me from doing what God asked me? No. Nothing will ever do in us what God wants to do in us. Man, sometimes though it's hard to get past the craziness, isn't it? Chapter 16, I'm just going to go to verse 12. Here's what he said after he said all of these things, they'd be rejected. All of this before he goes to pray for them. In verse 12, chapter 16, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. His own disciples, three and a half years of ministry, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What? Jesus. Hold on. Jesus, like, they're not going to find a better preacher than you. You preach a staggering sermon on the mount. These men come from nowhere. They weren't even from church. They were not out of the synagogue. These were fishermen and tax collectors and otherwise. And they followed you around and you taught them for three and a half years. And now before you go pray your last priestly, I mean this huge prayer, you're going to say to them, I had a bunch of stuff I want to say to you, but you couldn't bear it. 
I'm saying, Lord, I don't want you to say that to me. I mean, my life's but a vapor and it appears for a season. I don't want you to say to me that you wanted to say some things, but you couldn't because I couldn't handle it. I mean, I don't know why I didn't get to answer this by the very statement he made if I was to ask you the question. But the truth of the matter is there are times in my life when he can't say anything to me because I'm too busy figuring out how I can use him to get what I want out of a present situation rather than just accepting it is where it is and I need to commit this to God and God, how can you get the most glory out of this circumstance as possible? Like, what, where are we with it? I have many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear it. The disciples, the eleven that's left. And then he keeps going. He's talking about who? The Holy Spirit. I had many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them now. How be it when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever you shall hear that speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me. Do you see that? No one speaking that they heard something from the Lord. If it doesn't line up with Jesus, they didn't hear it from Him. But the next question is, we spend more of our time worried about someone being off kelter here in the Holy Spirit than we do actually trying to listen, if we're not careful, to what God wants to say to us. And He wants to speak to us. I mean, I want to know as a pastor, like, what's the vision of the church? Are we praying about that? I'm not getting any man. You know what? I'm going to get real. Like, man, I'm thinking, God, like after two years of ministry... I mean, what are we going to do? I preach my guts out on Sunday morning and time after time and there's groups and, and man, they got a fuss back and forth. We're worried about... I don't want to be on the radio. I'm going to stand in eternity before God with a conscience that's so clear. I promise you that. I don't have to be on the radio. God can promote the mouth if you give God your mouth. He needs to try you for a while sometimes. Forget it. What is this? I'm not getting a phone call from the body I pastor hardly. One or two. I'm preaching my guts out on getting your gift and getting your spot. Because I know your marriage will fail if you're not careful. You will cheat on your husband and wife if you're unhappy and think someone can tickle your fancy because you didn't get the place where the Spirit of God asked you to be. I promise you there'll be failure. Not because God wanted it to fail. I'm asking you to obey the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And I said, God, is this what I'm supposed to do? Because I don't want to stand before you with the applaud of men. I need to get before you saying, you did the will of God. Do you realize this country is going downhill? Listen, if you think Jesus was hard on His 11, I don't even want to hardly share with you what I know to be true for our future. You may kind of think about it. I mean like when I go to prayer wanting to pray about some of the texts that I'm after, and I come out and have to tell my wife, He's this burden is greater than I can share with the people, and yet I know it's going to come. And there's going to be a morning you won't know what to do. And you're going to remember what I preached. And it's only because I want you to be a body, and I want you to come together, and I want you in your spot. Listen, I want you to be a Christian before you're a Baptist. We made a bunch of Baptists. And what we ended up with is we're in trouble. You, if you don't believe me, call Ronnie Floyd. Call Ronnie Floyd. Do not rest your salvation in being a Baptist, a Catholic, a Methodist, a Presbyterian. You better get on the Word of God and Jesus. I read over and over. Go to Lifeway. Find their leaders what they're writing about. They're warning across the country. Baptists need a revival. 
And it's going to take an evangelist in some pulpits across the country preaching to say, you don't have, listen, you started well, but what happened to you? We kicked the Spirit of God out. What have we done? Worship wars. It's craziness. You don't come here to worry about whether it's a style of song you like. I still see people leave the Sunday school and protest. So what? Shame on them. This will not live the test I'm talking about. When trouble comes on that morning, that will not have enough theological power to stay anything, not even for its own house. So now I come back to, where are we? I mean, isn't it nice just to get you a pastor and you just want a neat little sermon, make you feel good? Listen, some great things are going on, but if we don't really step up and say, God, what's my peace and humble ourselves and love one another and quit this fussing around, and when there's a problem, what about calling the pastor? You ever thought about that? And not everybody else? Try that at home. My children get in trouble. They call the guy down the road. He's going to fix their problem. Shame on you for doing it. What did God send a pastor for? Another question. Hey, the reality is we've got to get honest about some of these things. We have got to get honest about the Spirit of God actually teaching us the Word and moving when He says to move and getting in our place. See what we've been cultured to in America is that we come doing what we're doing, hoping some preacher gets to be Dr. Phil and makes us feel good about preaching enough love and grace. Can I say there's conviction, repentance, and hell that awaits if we don't align with it? And then, you know, what are you? You're a a hellfire and brimstone. Yeah, but if you think of eternity on one side, and if Jesus told the truth in Luke chapter 16, that means you and I will stand on the banks of somewhere as God says to somebody, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And you get to watch your neighbor, your family, or your friend absolutely thrust into an eternal fire. That's what the book says. It may not make us feel good, but we can get serious about eternity. Oh, I can drink. I can do this and be okay. Oh, really? Good for you. Paddle on the ocean at the possibility you've got grace. But I say you're hijacking the Scripture. Why can't we just repent of the sin? Show God that we so love Him by affection that we're willing to leave all things to get to Him always. And that's what a relationship is like between the bride and the bridegroom. I'm just giving you an overview. I know I just went full time. It isn't like a hiring position where you hope they just now cover all the bases. For, that's not how God designed this deal. And if I'm going to preach every week on the giftings, I want to know what gift you've got. I want to know what, if you're, you're searching the Word, can I search the Word with you? Can I pray with you? Are you really unhappy about some things scripturally? You think the, whatever. What I don't want is I don't want a whole house of a church built on sand. And the Bible says if they hear and don't do anything about what they heard, then we build everything on the sand, no matter how pretty the parking lot gets and how much you mow the grass. Trouble's headed our way. I know you don't like hearing that, and I certainly don't like to have to share that, but trouble's on its way. And it doesn't hate, it doesn't hate the occults in our country. It doesn't hate that. Jesus just told us, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And they hated me before they hated you. It should be no surprise to you that on the evening news all over the world, they kill Christians. I just read they skinned a young man across the water. They behead them. 
they march Egyptians out who say they're Christian and they cut their heads off in the Mediterranean River or, or ocean, hoping that that red blood makes its way all the way to the Catholic Pope. That's the hope of the opposers of Christianity, of the resurrection of Jesus. They're not going after Jehovah's Witness. They're not going after ISIS because they're the ones breeding it. They're not going after the Mormon. They want those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. Church, we're going to have to wake to this and we've got to get ready, not just for just that, but our homes, the attacks on. My burden is not that there's trouble coming. God will guide us through it. He's lived through many a generations who hated his work. And he's guided the Israelites through all the plagues of Egypt and otherwise. He can do this. Not a big deal. But he can't do it unless we're aligned under the headship of Jesus Christ and make him absolutely Lord. We cannot play games with this. We're going to have to know. And we're going to have to know in America at one point. We may not know here or now or whatever, but someone's going to have to know the reason God puts shepherd and under shepherds because these men go to there in the prayer room and what they come out with shouldn't matter to the crowd. But when we've been so used to driving through Christianity that we just, if we don't like that hamburger, we drive down the street. And that's how the Gospels become. There's no commitment there. It's just, I'll take it when I want it. I'll take a one-night stand with Jesus on this Sunday, that Sunday, but you'll be here on the church parking lot when all hell breaks loose against Christ and His body. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you have a prayer request or any other need, we would love to hear from you. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. Or call us at 620-848-3347. You may find us on Facebook and online at RivertonFBC.com. Our Sunday school classes begin at 9.45 a.m. with worship services at 10.45 a.m. In addition, small group Bible studies meet on Sunday nights in various homes within the community. Please join us on Wednesday nights for a community-wide meal at 6, followed by Bible study for all ages at 7. The church is located at 6895 Southeast Bluebird Lane, just two blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop or one block south of Community Bank and Trust and one block west. This is downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning at 830 for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.